Hello and welcome to Landscape Photography World, the podcast for everyone passionate about landscape photography. I'm Grant Swinburne and I'll be your host on this show, talking to landscape photographers about their motivations, likes and dislikes. Have you heard that the inaugural Landscape Photography World Awards is now open for entries? Early bird entry is available now at a discounted fee until September 30, 2022. Head to landscapephotographyworldawards.com to find out all the details and how to enter. There's some amazing prizes to be won and I'll be publishing a book and a calendar with the top images at the end of the competition, so there's plenty to look forward to. Entries close on November 30, 2022, so there's plenty of time to get your entry sorted, but if you want to get into the early birds, do it now. I'd also like to thank the judges who have agreed to work with me and be a big part of the awards. Deb Clark, Victoria Hark, Kieran Stone and William Patino. I certainly couldn't make this competition a reality without their support. This week, Laren Ray joins me to talk about his stunning astro and scenic landscapes from New Zealand and around the world. With a decade of world travel and photography experience, Laren came to realise that truly remarkable landscapes are more than just photogenic geological structures. Their moods shift with the weather, their faces change in the shadows, and while they danced in daylight, they never lay dormant at night. Laren fell in love with the way mountains come alive under the Milky Way, the moment the sun and ocean melt together, the haunting comfort of fog banks lighting up as they envelop a city skyline, and the way the stars blur as the world twirls beneath them. It's all led him to what he describes as his compulsion to capture more of these fleeting moments of time in nature, and in the process create portraits of New Zealand's true essence. We discuss how his compulsion has grown, his recent move to the South Island of New Zealand to pursue his passion, and his incredible workflows both in the field and in post-production, along with a lot more. I hope you enjoy the show. Hi, Lauren. Welcome to the podcast. How are you going? Uh, good, Grant. Good, uh, good to be here, man. Yeah. Oh, thanks for taking the time to talk to me. Uh, I've been sort of chasing you for a little while. I know that, and uh, you know, I don't want to harass people, but uh, I like <laughs> I like to get the people that I like to get, and uh, you, you're definitely one that's uh, been on my list for a little while. Um, been mentioned by a couple of other people as as well, which is nice. Oh, that's good. To, good to hear. Yeah. So why don't we start with? why you got started in photography and in particular why astrophotography it i got this fascination with photography because i always found myself at the beach or somewhere in nature watching sunsets and sunrises i was just uh used to be a bit of an early bird and and um used to like enjoy hiking and stuff and and then the next thing really was to try and capture it so i got a pretty decent film camera back in the day and then you know i was just playing around with film and and shooting these sunsets and sunrises mainly um but it really took off for me when i decided to go backpacking around europe and israel um 10 years ago and i knew i wanted to have a good camera for that trip so i bought my first dslr cool. it all just stemmed from there really um <clears throat> the fascination of travel and wanting to capture different cultures and different landscapes and mm -hmm. and the things that i was coming across was um was incredible and with the astrophotography my first ever shot was i was staying at this crazy little remote village in the in the mountains somewhere in the back of bulgaria okay and the, and the skies were incredible and yeah. and i wanted to try and shoot it somehow um and i had no idea what i was doing at all absolutely no idea so i just started with long exposures uh one minute two minute five minutes ten minutes all the way up to four hours kind of thing getting lots of star trials in yeah yeah and it was star trials were the first thing that i ever learned to capture i didn't really know what else to do um and then from that moment really the fascination with the night sky in particular really grabbed a hold of me and slowly i've just been learning different techniques and and different ways of capturing and different subjects and and it kind of goes hand in hand with my hiking and, and my love for the outdoors so i love you know all aspects of photography but particularly nightscapes and landscapes yeah sure sure so that link to travel i guess seems to be a, a fairly common thread with a with a lot of people um how much traveling were you doing and i guess how much do you think that that travel in, influenced what you were doing and and why you were doing it 
I think travel's uh, influenced me a lot, as with a lot of photographers. I think it's the continual search for the new, the new landscape, the new inspiration, um, and we need to keep searching and seeking these places out and, and seeing what we can capture and testing our abilities. Um, I know for me, in terms of hiking, I'm pushing my limits yep. all the time. And, um, you know, as you know, as well, probably with camera gear, it adds a lot more weight and, and a lot more um, oh, yeah. <laughs> admin to, to actually shooting. So there's a lot more things to consider. But I think it's that need to explore and to continually push our own boundaries and, and uh, new scenes and landscapes that, you know, that's sort of within every landscape photographer, I think. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. I mean, my lightweight carry, which is three lenses, a body and a, and a tripod, plus some filters and whatever, kicks in at about 10 kilos. So, you know, yeah, yeah you add that to any other gear that you <laughs> want to carry. It's, <laughs> it's a bit of a... Yeah, it adds up very, very quickly. Yeah. Mind yeah. you, I could probably ditch a lens, maybe. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's always that, uh, it's always that battle of like, what do what do do I leave behind? Really, it's not what do I take; it's what do I leave behind? Because I'm yeah. when I'm going somewhere, I'm usually trying to capture as much of that landscape or that place as possible. So I'm usually taking two or three cameras, um, knowing that I might only ever get to that location once. So the setup can be quite heavy, and once you include all the lenses and bits and pieces, yeah, okay. So talk us through, I guess, the the motivation around hiking to some of the remote locations i mean some of the the shots that i've seen from you are obviously very much backcountry very much off the beaten track what is it that i guess motivates you to get into those sorts of places and and steer clear of not necessarily the crowds but steer clear of the uh the the, the more well-beaten paths yeah well when i was coming up you know it's very easy when you're learning just to stick to the the side of the road or the easy to drive to spots but as my journey has has grown. I've I've just got this fascination with wanting to shoot places that haven't been shot before. And I think with Astro, it adds a different dynamic as well. Of you know, even even more so. Like a lot of people haven't seen the night sky in some of these locations, uh, including yeah, myself. Yeah. So I just have this desire to want to get to these places and capture the night sky. And <clears throat> and I had a lady once uh, message me on one of my uh, one of my images that I posted, and she. And it really struck a chord with me. She said, look, I'm, I'm, I'm old now and I'll never be able to get to these locations that you're going to. So I really appreciate these shots that you're shooting because I'll never get to yeah, see wow. it for myself. And I was like, wow, that was like such a such a powerful comment because I realized that because sometimes you don't really know who's seeing your images or what influence you're having in people's lives by the things you're creating. And that moment really just moved me. And I thought, wow, I, I've kind of got this kind of responsibility to to show people things that they might not get to see for themselves. And I sure. and I felt like that just gave me even more inspiration to keep doing what I was doing. So I want to get to <clears throat> these places for myself, but I realise as well other people may never get to these places. So it's a yeah, it's kind of an honour to be able to capture these places and show people what's out there, yeah. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I guess looking at that aspect of it, that uniqueness of going into places, Talk, talk us through the preparation for setting up. I know you recently just got back from a uh, a, a trip up onto top of some mountains to uh, to capture some astro, uh, I think it was last week or so. Usually the first thing for me just starts with like, where do I want to shoot? And then, you know, then I'm jumping on Google Maps and Google Earth just to scout out the location. And once I've got that in mind, then it's just a matter of weather, especially when you get into the alpine environment. And astro weather is really critical. Yep. Um, you know, you can't shoot stars with cloud and, and you know, it's a lot of effort to get up there, uh, especially in winter when you need survival gear and all the warm gear. Um, yeah. It adds a lot more complexity. So you really need to be prepared, always be prepared for the worst because you never know what could happen in the mountains. Um, so then it's a matter of just getting the gear sorted and, and what do I want to achieve, achieve while I'm there and then bring in the, the right gear for that. Um, yeah. So sometimes I'll go to a location and I want a time lapse as well as just shoot panoramas or single images. So it's just uh, it's just a working out of what gear I need and and then just going and doing it and then hoping that my my planning and my um, sort of knowledge of the weather pays off. 
Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> how do you, how do you deal with the disappointment when the you know you you're up on top of the mountain and it's just two feet visibility, just sheer fog, you can't see anything. What what do you yep. do then? Yeah, that's happened <laughs> more than once. Yeah, that's happened uh, a few times. You just I think you just accept it, like you know what you're going into. I think if you have the expectation that it's always going to be perfect, you're always going to be disappointed. Oh yeah. So, yeah. so I realized with especially with Astro, there's always going to be that chance. And I've been disappointed many times. It's uh I think it's, you know, every shot that I edit, it's probably like a five and one strike rate. Like you go to a lot of occasions and you don't get the shot that you hope for. Yeah. But usually I with Astro and with hiking, I'm I usually wouldn't attempt it if I don't think I've got a good chance of capturing it because it is a lot of work and to come away with nothing is is incredibly disappointing. But also it gives me um, the motivation to get back there as well and, and get that shot if I didn't get it on the first time. So Yeah, right. Yeah. But yeah, it's but, normally making sure you've got a lot of snacks and, and uh, some hot drink and then just uh, chilling at the tent usually. <laughs> <laughs> In terms of going into the field with that concept of what it is that you want to shoot i guess one of the challenges for a lot of people when they start out with astro is sort of trying to envisage what it is that they want to get and a big part of that is knowing where say the milky way or particular objects are going to be in the sky or particular astronomical events are going to occur you know like a comet or uh, the meteor showers or whatever it is that uh, people want to try and catch how much research are you putting into that before you head out i generally know now from my years of experience where the milky way is going to be at even any given time how that relates to the actual landscape usually is found out at location like you can scout yep. and check google maps as much as you like but it's not until you're there till you're actually in the location that you can really tell how that composition is going to look but i generally know where the milky way is going to be and meteor showers as well there's you know there's plenty of apps that tell you where they're going to be although you can't plan for the specific yeah yeah um you can you get a general direction of yeah, you know, yeah. yeah they'll be in the south southwest or whatever you know? yeah like i i must i just saw the craziest meteor of my life the other night it literally went from right above me right down to the horizon and it took about seven seconds to fall and my camera wow. i don't fit in a pat milky way panorama and my camera was facing completely the opposite direction and i just saw this thing above me and all i could do was just watch it and it was just incredible but like it's that that moment you just oh if my camera was only the other way insane, so uh, it's yeah. always the way isn't it <laughs> it's always the way mate mind, mind you pics or it didn't happen <laughs> yeah yeah that's what people have been saying <laughs> So yeah. Uh, what is it that drives you to get that unique perspective in your photography? I think I'm I'm really after that that one-off moment, that rear shot from a location, that that light, the because the night sky has its own light. Every night is different. There's there's a thing called air glow where the atoms in the sky get charged by the sun during the day and they light up at night to mm -hmm. all usually greens and reds. And every night is different. And I'm chasing that that unique shot and that unique sky. I, I feel motivated just by being out in nature. I've always had a fascination for wanting to be in the wilderness away from the city. Yep. Uh, so the photography goes hand in hand with just that that solitude that I feel and that, that completeness that I feel when I'm out in nature and capturing those moments in particular, the night sky are just are just are just incredible. You know, the, those moments are often shot alone. So it's just me on a mountain. Sometimes I'll be with a mate. Yep. But I just seek out those quiet moments on top of a mountain or, or some remote landscape where it's just me and nature and my camera. Yeah. Nice, nice. How would you, I guess, for somebody that hasn't seen your work, how would you describe your style? And how do you see that style has developed and is developing? I think I would consider it like grand nightscapes. Like I love to shoot wide field panoramas, multi-row panoramas that take in the whole landscape that I'm seeing and the night sky that I'm seeing as well. Not just a single image that captures a portion that gives you a glimpse of that scene, but the whole scene that is unfolded for me. So you're I talking, used... say, a 180 degree or even more, 270 degree panorama? Yeah, with, with Milky Way arch panoramas, you need to shoot about 270 degrees to yep. get the full the full arch in. You know, it's it's a different 
different kind of shot to a, like a rising Milky Way at the start of the season. Yeah, yeah. But I think that grand landscape view is is um, it's just it's just incredible to see the whole span of the Milky Way through the night sky. And my style has changed a lot. You know, when you start, you're starting with single images usually, and you kind of learn in your craft how to capture that one image well, and yeah. then you go to you know, it might be stacking that single image and then and then you want to try and capture more. So you start shooting panoramas and, and stitching panoramas and multi-row panoramas. So it gets, I think it's the inevitable journey of an astrophotographer wanting to develop more skills and more capture techniques. And mm, mm. Yeah, so that's, I think that's how my journey's grown. Okay. Where, where do you see it going in terms of development? Because a lot of people say, you know, if you don't change your style or you don't change what you do, you basically stunt your growth. So how do you, how do you find growth in that getting to where you are now, which is pretty much top of your game? Where do you take it next? Yeah, I mean, I've the whole journey is interesting. Like, I never want to feel like I've made it in terms of like I've reached a point of like, I feel like at the top of my game, I think it's this transient thing. I feel like for right now, I'm happy with where I'm at, but I want to, I don't want to stay here. And I think for me, I mean, there's always new software and new edit techniques to learn. But for me, I feel like my journey is going the locations are really important to me now. Like I'm not interested in shooting on the side of the road, not sure. interested in capturing shots that anyone can just pull over and capture. So for my, the challenge for me is to find locations that push me, push me physically further and into places that haven't been captured. I've got a real fascination for, for these kind of places in the remote wilderness. Mm-hmm. So I think for me, my journey is going to be pushed more and towards those that kind of um development and you know with better gear and better lenses comes better imagery but i feel like i feel like it's the the artist and the location makes the shot because basically now anyone can shoot the milky way if they want but you can do it on a phone now you know (laughs) yeah so i feel like it's the location and the composition that really set shots apart and the ones that the ones that i see from other photographers that inspire me are ones that I, that I haven't seen before from locations that I haven't been to yeah something something new because photography is saturated and astrophotography is incredibly popular now mm. so, so I just I just want to stand out from the rest not to just stand out from the rest but for me it's the challenge of of wanting to capture those images for myself because I love exploring and I love hiking and adventuring so that's my my challenge yeah yeah, fantastic. Mm. You talked a little bit about gear, and I mean this this podcast doesn't usually talk much about gear, but Astro is a little bit different to you know. I, I said kind of tongue in cheek, you can take a shot with an iPhone uh, <laughs> now, but uh, yeah. if you want to get serious about Astro, what what sort of gear do you need? It all starts off with <clears throat> a good quality DSLR and a good fast lens mm-hmm. so there's there's cameras that have been around for like 10 years now that can do a pretty decent job of capturing the night sky um sensor sensors are important but a fast lens is probably more important i think yeah. um, so i usually use f 1.4 lenses yep uh stop them down i have a star tracker which i can't always use because if there's wind it's you need right. you need you know you need stillness so sometimes you can't use a tracker. So sometimes all the gear, all the best gear is not available to you at the location because of those factors like wind. So sometimes it's just about you having a camera and a lens and a good solid tripod. A solid tripod is an absolute must because you're talking about long long exposures from 15 to 30 seconds usually. Yeah. So yeah. You, you just need to have... Um, you need something that's rock solid, not going to vibrate or... Yeah, you just need to move around or wobble. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, mate. And there's so many times which a little bit of wind or a little bit of something has has yeah. caused a blurry image. So, yeah, it, it, yeah, it's funny. I, I see a lot of photographers just doing seascaping and and that sort of stuff, or even around the city, where they've set themselves up on the tripod and they've um, they've still got the strap hanging off the camera, and there's yeah. a bit of a breeze going, and you can see 
it's not going to give you the idea <laughs> if you're yeah, exposed, uh, you, that's, that's not going to yeah. work for you <laughs> no you want to eliminate any anything that can cause camera shake and yeah. that's you know that's a real rocky one that one um i've seen it a lot as well and i you know i started like that as well i didn't know yeah everybody does yeah yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I tell you what, one of the one of the main reasons is, at least in the Canon range, the, the straps are a pain in the backside to take on and put back on. Yeah. So I guess move, moving away from the gear and back to the, the, the why, are you doing this now professionally or is it a part-time gig or is it a hobby? What What is it within your life? It's more than a hobby. It's it's like it's an obsession really <laughs> and an i guess it has to be and you you find yeah. most people that are, are good at what they do are obsessed with what they do yeah i i would say i'm serious serious part-time moving towards more full-time my background is working in film and tv as my main job my main source of income uh and with covid and everything that's happened over here the last two years the work basically just dried up the whole yeah, industry sure. just got decimated so i found myself moving more into photography um and trying to get that side of things working for me more and more and there's a few exciting things coming up um i can't really share at the moment but yeah that's fine me and another photographer have got something pretty exciting uh ahead in the future that we're working on so that will come to light in the next few months um yeah so moving more into being full-time photography i i feel like with covid that's just accelerated my intentions and and what i want to do with my life and what i want to achieve and with that you know i realized what i was truly passionate about by having everything kind of stripped back and taken away i was yep. forced into thinking well what do i want to do with my what can i control what do i want to do how how do i want to live and what do i want to achieve and it was just a natural progression for me to to want to pursue photography more because that's i love i love it and it's my life and it's my obsession and it's what i want to do with my spare time so yeah things are moving more into that direction and you know i've moved from one end of the country to the other in the last five weeks to be mainly to be out of the city and more into the environment where i'm surrounded by nature and and to get to some of these places isn't such a struggle anymore so yeah that's been a huge motivator and a huge change in my life to to make that happen so yeah just you know because it's one thing to talk about something and there's another thing to actually act on that and i and Absolutely. i've acted on that so yeah. yeah i'm setting myself up and building building basically a new life for myself down here in wanaka it's uh yeah it's a slow burn but it's uh it's on on its way Hmm, okay let's talk a little bit about the move uh you were based uh in the north island up until a few weeks ago or a few months ago why wanaka and why the move down south i i moved to auckland 13 years ago to to film school and to work in the film and tv industry and i was loving the life there while i was working and i mm -hmm. loved what i did work was good things were good and I, but I'd always find myself flying down to the South Island three or four times a year for photography. And through those trips, I realized that one day I want to be down here. I want to be in it. And I don't want to be flying down when, say, there's an aurora or some event or, uh, you know, I wanted to be here and, and have things more on my terms rather than what was ever what was happening in Auckland. And through the pandemic and everything, uh, it just became with work disappearing. It just became living in a big, uh, hectic city. Yeah. And I just got so frustrated and so overwhelmed with just everything there. I, I just, yeah, it really did my head in and I, I just knew it was time. My time was coming. And I guess, you know, the the pandemic just accelerated that transition to, to want to be in the South Island. So sure. earlier on this year, like a few months ago, I decided this, I'm done, just absolutely done. So I just started trying to figure it out and after we went through that four-month lockdown I, I got on a road trip uh end of last year and I just came down to the South Island for three months and just traveled around and nice. was just thinking and scouting and just just getting myself in a good mental space again because I wasn't wasn't doing too well at that point and and it wasn't until I drove into Wanaka because I was I was thinking where do I want to move to where do mm. I want to and at first I thought it was going to be Queenstown because there's a lot more going on there in terms of sort of industry, film industry, just jobs, sure. uh, a bit more work and a bit more vibe. But when I was there, I felt like, no, nah, I actually want to go somewhere more quiet because I'm I'm so sick of the the hustle and, and the, the hecticness of, of city life. And Queenstown felt like 
a little slice of Auckland. And and when I drove into Wanaka, it just felt like this is where I wanted to be with the place being surrounded by mountains and the populations are quite a considerably less than Queenstown. And it just felt uh, calm and peaceful. And that's what I was after. So I just knew this was where I wanted to be. And then, then it was a matter of, of making it happen for myself and, and then making the move and, and then just figuring it all out. And it's, and I'm, you know, I'm, I've been here five weeks now and starting to feel settled, but I knew when I was, when I moved here, it was, it was the right decision and everything now is on my doorstep and I've been on so many adventures already and it's just been incredible, mate. Like I can't. Oh, that's fantastic. Absolutely no regrets at all. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's great. That's great. And fantastic to hear that that's working out for you. How are you balancing uh, work and your photography? Clearly, the photography is starting to think things are starting to tilt more in that direction than, uh, you know, back towards work. What are you doing for work at the moment? And how are you how are you managing that balance? So I wanted to find some work down here. So at the moment, I'm working as a ski, a ski rental tech and a ski yep. shop here. I work part-time, so it gives me the flexibility to work on my own things and have my own adventures at the same time because I didn't want to just get full on into into work where I couldn't focus on my photography, but I didn't yeah, want on. to didn't want to have no work where I wasn't didn't have some routine. So I felt like it was important to to just get established and just get a routine down here and and feel like I was you know, con- kind of contributing to to the move by by having that routine. But I've got a lot of flexibility to go on the adventures that I've been on and to work on some business stuff behind the scenes. So it's it's a great balance for me at the moment. Yeah, nice, nice to hear. Mm-hmm. So for people that don't know the Wanaka area, I mean, it's hard to believe that people don't know about it. But you know, they, <laughs> they, given the exposure that, that tree has, but yeah, uh, yeah, and you can now go and shoot it when the crowds aren't there, which is nice. Exactly. But uh, <laughs> how do you describe the area for someone that hasn't been there, and how far is it to some of your favourite locations? So Wanaka is um, it's considered a small town. It's it's it has around about ten thousand people as permanent residents. It's mm-hmm. Um, it's surrounded by mountains. It's right next to a lake. It's got the Wanaka tree, which most photographers around the world would know. I'd say it's one of the most, if not the most, photographed tree in the world. Potentially, and yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it sits, you know, it sits in the middle of the, well, not in the middle, but out in the water. It's it's a very unique spot, and it is overshot, and people complain and moan, and but then obsess over it as well. So, you know, it's got a lot of people have a lot iconic of... Iconic places are iconic for a reason, you know. <laughs> exactly, but I'm literally... I'm five minutes drive from the lake, five minutes drive to work. I'm 10 minutes drive to one of the hikes, Roy's Peak, which is also a yep. famous hike now. And I'm so close to so many locations. I'm I'm two hours to the coast. I'm two hours to the Mackenzie, Mount Cook, Tekepo, and, you know, uh, all the lakes around there. Uh, an hour to Queenstown, mm. a couple of hours to the southern coast down in the Catlins. Yep. It's a very, very central location here. And yeah. it's just surrounded by snow-capped mountains in the winter. And in summer, it's it's incredibly warm as well. It's no, just you, the, you literally yeah. live in Middle Earth. Oh, mate, it's just it's it's just beautiful it's just nature it's quiet as well there's no traffic noise there's no hustle it's just it's relaxed you know it's just it's just everything that you could want coming from a mad crazy city so fantastic yeah so what's your favorite spot what's what keeps calling you back that you know you you keep getting drawn to because either you haven't nailed it or you've nailed it but you just love it there's two places um, down here that really inspire me and want me that I want to come back to more, and that's the Mackenzie Country. Mm. And the Mackenzie Country is just a massive area. It's 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 Lake Tekapo, it's uh, it's Twizel, it's Mount Cook, it's Lake Ohau, it's it's um it's the Lindus Valley, mm. and there's just incredible locations all in amongst these places. And yeah, they're just inspirational. There's just so many areas and different spots and different weather conditions um, all through the seasons. And then the other area is Fiordland, which I've I feel like I've only just started to tap into. And that's yeah. that's probably about three three or four hours drive from here. But it's an area that hasn't been shot that much. That is incredibly um, sparse and remote. 
and probably one of the most untouched um, parts of New Zealand, if not the world as well, for especially for photography. So, yeah, um, yeah. you know, aside from the hotspots of Milford Sound and Tiarnau, there's a lot to explore there. And I went on my first proper hike there earlier on this year and couldn't believe where I was standing at, at, at points. They were just on top of um, small mountains, just surrounded by little lakes and tarns and, and just the layers uh it was just incredible mate and i feel mm. that i need that's a place that i absolutely want to get into so um my cool. summer plan, plan is to hike 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 <laughs> <laughs> yeah so do you see yourself uh retiring in wanaka or li living out the rest <sighs> of your life or is there still a desire to get out and about further further afield than new zealand and out into the world more i think man i i know it's probably early to talk about retirement for you. No, I, I just i just i don't know i never want to say never but i feel this is like home you know yeah i feel like i'm from new plymouth originally and that's a it's a small city on the west coast of the north island and that will always be home yep yep this feels like the next best thing um because I always wanted to live in the mountains and I always wanted to be in nature. And this, this is kind of as good as it gets, I feel in New Zealand. So if I retire here, I would be happy. Um, yeah. But, you know, I still have a desire to travel and stuff, but I feel this is a great base. This is a great place to be based, um, you know, and, you know, I've got some friends down here and I feel like more connected down here than anywhere in a long time, you know, especially Auckland. So, uh, yeah. you know, if I had to retire here, mate, uh, you know, it wouldn't be a bad thing. <laughs> yeah i don't i don't imagine too many people complain about uh retiring around the the wanaka area <laughs> yeah you i mean you must have shot down here about, I, yeah. uh, honestly i've never been to the south island i've been to the north island for work several times been to wellington auckland uh yeah. i did a did a longish weekend with the wife in auckland and you know waiheke island and you know a bit of wine tasting and whatever but um you know hobbiton that sort of thing but yeah. never been to the south island and it's oh, it's mate. it's it's very very high on the bucket list oh, yeah i know i know oh, oh, that really surprises me actually wow <laughs> yeah ne never never shot the south island so um you know to be honest uh it's it's not for lack of want it's just mm we had planned prior to the uh pandemic to head over there mm. and we were on the brink of booking a trip you know yeah. and uh you know hiring a camper to wander around and do what we want to do and be where we want to be and then the pandemic hit and everyone shut their borders you couldn't leave australia you couldn't get into new zealand for love nor money yeah. um and so that all went by the wayside and in the meantime i've bought a bought a motorhome over here which uh i'm expecting delivery soon so you know i, I think we're probably going to prioritize that because uh we've we've put the money into that for for the moment so um yeah uh it, it's still on the list though and i, I still yeah. want to get over there <laughs> yeah yeah well i feel like i mean i feel like the, over the last couple of months i feel like every australian's been over here you know for <laughs> yeah i've like, seen, seen a lot of people uh, uh heading that way and I, I i can't blame them either you know i, I want to be there i want to to be honest if i uh if i had my you know choice of places to retire it it, it would be pretty high on the list too it would be south island and new zealand um, yeah. I don't know that the uh, wife would appreciate the winters though. She's uh, she's from the UK and uh, doesn't like cold weather. She's <laughs> when it, whenever I say where do you want to go, she says take me somewhere hot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm I actually enjoy the cold weather. It's um I'm not a fan of the heat anymore. Yeah, um, no, I'm I'm the same. Exactly. I prefer prefer the cold. Yeah, you can. I I find that you can warm yourself up far easier than you can cool yourself down. You know. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so what's the most memorable experience you've had while uh, out shooting? I would say probably one of my trips to Iceland and it was in the winter and the night, you know, with I Iceland, with the Aurora, anything can happen at any moment. And so I went out on this particular night and it was completely clear, completely calm, which is very, very rare for Iceland to have yeah, no wind. Yeah. Uh, and when I started out the night, the nights are like 15 hours long in the winter, the darkness. And when I started out the night, there wasn't a single bit or 
of Aurora. No sign of Aurora. Wasn't really much forecast that night. Yep. Maybe it was like a KP2, KP3, and but that can be like incredible in Iceland. Um, so I just went out and I went out shooting and I set up a time lapse in one location and then I just left it for the night and I went traveling around looking for different locations and, and just seeing what could happen. And then I turned up to um, this church and I just started shooting it. And then the the aurora just started out of nowhere. Cool. And I thought, okay, this could be on. And so, and it just started getting bigger and bigger. So I shot there and I went somewhere else. And then I ended up at this, like a, an estuary that was completely frozen over. And the aurora was just starting to kick off and it was starting to move from horizon to horizon, like 180 degrees and above me. And I thought, oh, here we go. And it just started building and building. And so I went out into this, to the middle of this estuary, which was completely ice and completely refle reflective. Mm. And then I, then I shot a shot a 180-degree panorama and then took a shot of myself. And it turned out to be, you know, you can't really tell in the moment what that final Im image will look like because it's so wide and not until you put it together that you see the full scale of it. So that, I mean, when I was out there, I just, the aurora was all around me. It was going crazy. And then when I put that image together, I got to see how good that moment actually was. But when I when I was shooting, I I was just it just it was like a lot of people there, and I didn't see anyone else that out that whole night except earlier on in the night. Yeah. But the later, the later half of that night, probably like ten hours of it, I didn't see another single person. Wow. Anywhere. And this aurora was just going mental, and I thought, you know, it just. You just don't know what's going to happen and you have to put yourself in that place and be prepared to be tired and be, be prepared to be wrecked to see something incredible. And that moment for me was like all about just taking a chance when there was nothing really happening. And then by the end of the night, it was crazy. Mm. And for me, that was that was just an incredible night. I was out all night, 15 hours of shooting and and different locations and and i couldn't believe from the start to the finish how that night progressed yeah and that was that's something i'll never forget ever yeah amazing fantastic yeah what have you learned about the world through photography i've learned that the world oh, well, it's an interesting question because the last two years have been strange not having travel as an option so but up until that point, I felt like the world was very small. You could travel anywhere pretty much um, within a few days. And so all these locations were pretty accessible. And what I've learned about traveling, especially in photography, is that there are so many incredible, beautiful places and a lot that are still yet to be seen and shot. I feel like it's it's about the people that you meet along the way as well. Like I've met a lot of friends through photography. Yep, um, yep. Through Some of my closest friends now are photographers and ones that I've met while out shooting things. I didn't really expect to happen because I genuinely like shooting by myself. Um, yeah, yeah. I like to have my own sort of rhythm through the night or whatever I'm doing, but I've made some incredible friends that are like my closest friends. And I feel, you know, you can get these, amazing shots and amazing images but a lot of it is about the relationships that you build along the way and the friendships you make because totally you know with astrophotography it's often often a very lonely existence so when you find like-minded people um especially in that genre and that you want to shoot with that's that's cool that's really cool because mm -hmm. sometimes you just want someone to talk to on top of a mountain you know and you don't always enjoy being by yourself so I feel like the 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 travel side of photography has has made create some great friendships along the way, and I feel feel that's you know that's a really cool thing about photography that common common ground. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. Mm. How did how did you I guess learn your craft? Do you you know are you self taught? Are you done courses? Have you you know been mentored by people, or did you just sort of pick it up as you went along? The majority of my journey is self-taught. I like when I started, as I said before, I didn't know what I was doing with Astro, so I just decided to do these long exposures and see what would happen. And then, then once that started to kind of become a bit more like um, routine, I I wanted to know more about because I felt like I had a good eye for photography, but I didn't understand any of the science behind it. Didn't understand the 
the exposure triangle of shutter speed and um, ISO and yep, yep. so I I did this diploma online diploma for a year of photography that taught me yeah. all the, all the science behind photography and all the you know all, all the whys of like how things relate to each other. So once I got a good grip on that, I I kind of understood how a camera works and and how all those things relate to each other. And then it was a matter of just going out and shooting. And I've pretty much taught myself everything to do with Astro. Um, a lot of it was watching every YouTube clip that I could find at the beginning. Yeah. I, I, I did a workshop back in the day, like when I was sort of just starting, like, because I felt like I got to a point where I was like, I don't know what to do next. And I went on this workshop, this Astro workshop, and it taught me that I could push my camera further than what all the YouTube clips were telling me and, and there were yeah, right. like unwritten rules that people were saying that you couldn't shoot over 3200 iso and yeah yeah and all the kind of like rules and i was like okay and, you know when you're new you just oh yeah okay sure you believe it and you don't you know you don't know you don't know what you don't know yeah. so i went to this workshop and it taught me that you know there are these these can be broken and so once i did that it really accelerated my the growth in terms of like, oh, what what can i actually do what mm. what how can i push my camera and so I was just out shooting and shooting and shooting. And that was just night after night, every clear and available night I was just shooting. And I just went out obsessed every night and I just yep. kept shooting and shooting. And, and I had one guy just one time just asked me, Oh, how, like, how are you, he was, I had like only a, you know, a couple of thousand followers on Instagram, whatever. And he was like, Oh, how are you? So it was something like, how are you so famous? And I'm like, what? <laughs> like what? I'm not famous, and he goes, "Oh, but, and then he was like, well, tell, how to teach me? Tell me how to get famous." I'm like, Dude. Oh, "I was like, mate, you just got to shoot, man. You just got to shoot. You got to fail. You got to shoot, and you got to." It sounds like somebody doing it for the wrong reasons, though. Totally. He just wanted the fame. He just wanted the the numbers. He was all about the numbers. Yeah. And and you know, there's no substitute for hard work. Um, that's my that's my. Well, it's the the, the ten thousand hours. You know, if you haven't put in ten thousand hours, you're never going to master a craft of any any. A, that's it. and I feel like I have put in my ten thousand hours. I felt like I've I've done my my dues, you know, and and you never want to stop learning. But I feel like unless you have that actual experience of being out there and failing and shooting and learning, you know, no amount of YouTube videos or, or courses are going to help you because it's that internal desire that you have to learn and yeah. and and put your put yourself out there and, and shoot so yeah self-taught and i've learned a lot of things from other photographers a couple of friends of mine have been really key in my journey and just said hey why don't you try this and play around with this or you know have a go with this and mm. and i th feel like with the those friendships that i've made especially in the astro photography world we share information because we realize that our hearts are in the right place for what we wanted yep. to do because a lot of people want to take your information or take what you've learned but they're not prepared to you know it's it's to put back in yeah yeah exactly exactly and i have a lot of people wanting that from me but like um you know until you've shown me or you know prepared to put yourself out there it's like well you know i've learned all this you know hardware i don't want to just give it to you you know just yeah, because yeah. you want to know it so, so have you have you thought about running workshops or have you run workshops absolutely i i have run a few workshops when i was up in auckland um before the pandemic and i found it really enjoyable and so that's something i'm definitely looking forward to doing in the future mm. uh, getting back into that i feel like at the moment i'm just establishing myself down here and Sure. I feel like that'll be a big part of my future as well. So, uh, because I feel like it's one thing to have the knowledge, but then to keep that knowledge is like selfish as well. And there's a lot of totally. people totally. who want to learn. So, yeah. um, absolutely want to share all the things that I've learned at some point as well. And yeah, absolutely. I feel like I've got a lot to contribute in that area. So, yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. So, what what did you your process look like? I guess you know you've you've hiked for miles you're on the top of a mountain and whatever are you just sort of plopping the tripod down and and doing panos or are you looking for particular elements in the in the landscape that you want to feature or, or or what yeah it's it's interesting that that question because when i started i was i used to try and shoot multiple especially foregrounds because once you capture the night sky you've got the night sky right it's not yep. really going to change that much in that night yeah the milky so, way looks like the milky way yeah yeah so i would go to the locations like a few years ago and i'll try and shoot 
as many foregrounds I could through the night. And but what I was finding is that I'd come away with like 10 panoramas and only ever would use one or yeah. edit one because that was the best one of the night. Yep. So I've started to slow down a lot and I get to a location and I scout it. I, I try not to turn up in the dark because it's very hard to find foregrounds in the dark. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you have to because just the way things are, like the the what the time the height takes or the or you know, whatever the situation is. But sure. if possible, I like to turn up during light and see what foreground I can work with. And since I've started tracking um the stars on a uh, equatorial tracker, it's really forced me to slow down and consider my foreground in particular more. Yeah, right. So um I'm usually if I can come away with maybe two or three um foregrounds and panoramas that night i'll be happy but i'm really looking for that one that one shot that i'm going to come away with that one foreground that's really going to be different mm. and impactful so uh yeah trying to slow down obviously cloud can is very frustrating as long as it's not over the core the brightest part of the milky way yeah. i'm usually happy if it's a little bit you know if it's a bit in frame but it all depends because then you can run into stitching areas later on if the clouds yeah, turn and you know you can, the software can't pick up the stars. So, um, but I don't mind a bit of cloud as long as it's not like a dominant feature in the scene uh, mm-hmm. with stars. It's it's usually not too bad. Yeah, cool. So you've you've got the shot, you've got your foreground and everything, and you're heading home. You are you straight into processing from the moment you put the bag down, or are you leaving things to I guess ferment for a little bit longer and uh you think about it you I usually never edit straight away Uh, unless it's a what I would consider a topical shot such as an aurora a situational shot that happens and needs to be kind of seen straight away um Geminids for example if you want to if you want to say hey here's the Geminids from last night it's no point leaving that for a month is it (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's kind of like an editorial piece that, that, you know, in the moment it has its value, but like a week later, it doesn't have value because we live in such a fast paced world that people just move on really quickly. And say there's a, there's a celestial event, like an Aurora or something. If you're like late to the party, no one cares. And that's kind of a a sign of what society is like now. If you're like them to upload a photo it's like oh yeah we've already seen it earlier and so with these, I've seen um, 10 of them yeah yeah exactly so with these topical events you need to be in first to capitalize on those you know on those events um but with things like milky ways and, and different locations i sometimes i've i haven't edited to a, a year later and i like to keep those images often just for me because i like to i like to just sit on them and let them like you know marinate on my hard drive sometimes too long to be honest um <laughs> sometimes i let, allow things go for too long but i i'm never in a in a hurry to rush um rush an edit or force yeah. something um i feel like it it will be edited when i'm ready to edit it and when i'm ready for people to see it especially with locations that have been more difficult to get to uh you know and more and are more meaningful and special to me i feel like i sure. want to take time and make sure i've got that edit how i want it um Mm. yeah there's a there's a shot that's one of my most uh, recognized shots and it and i probably didn't it was me on top of a mountain under the milky way with a hut and it took me it was about nine months till i even researched those images again you know and i just let that sit on my computer and when i came to it i was excited about editing it and you know i'm usually excited about the locations i get to but after Afterwards, I'm so tired and so rinsed that I just don't want to touch. You know, I just want to rest and and let yeah. those things. Be. Um, and then I'll come back to it at, at you know at certain times. Um, so yeah, it's. I mean, there's no sort of real rules, but I usually it's usually a few months before I'll edit something that I'm really stoked on. Yeah. Yeah. Now I'm I'm probably uh, going to get this wrong, but I'd imagine you're spending a fair you know particularly with a, a pano shot a fair amount of time in post-production to try and stitch that together and get it right um what on average what what type, kind of time would you spend on an edit oh i would say it could be anywhere between could be anywhere between 10 and 40 hours it's wow. yeah. yeah it's a difficult one it depends on it depends on the actual panorama it could be like a couple of days and then those couple of days could hours could be spread over a few weeks as well like i'll come back to it i'll let it sit yeah, yeah. Come, back, come back with fresh eyes 
it's really important to come back with fresh eyes because when you get into that edit, you just get so tunnel visioned on what you're doing that if mm-hmm. you don't walk back, come back to it, you like often I've come back and well, what have I done? Like, yeah, why, not, why did I do that? <laughs> yeah. So I try and I try not edit a, a piece in one go. Um, I like to at least have one or two breaks to come back to it. But uh, yeah, with Milky Way panoramas and especially star trails, which are can be up to four, five, six hundred shots, they take a long time. And to get them just right and get remove all the artifacts and stuff, you know, it can just take time. So, yeah. you know, sometimes up to a couple of days. Um, but sometimes a few hours, it just depends on the scene, really. Yeah. You must have a fair beast of a uh, machine to deal with, you know, four or 500 images at a time. Well, or are you breaking that up and then... Uh, you know, it used to be a beast of a machine like a couple of years ago, but, you know, it slowed down a bit. But I do it. I don't do 500 images in one go. That You'd kind yeah. of need a supercomputer to do that. I was going to say that. <laughs> yeah. So I usually do them in the star trails in particular in blocks of 50 to 100. Yeah, right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Do you print much of your work? I don't print a lot for myself. I I would probably if I had a printer, but I print a little bit for myself. The shots that are more meaningful to me, yep, I print them. So have you ever hit a creative wall? And if so, how did you handle it? Absolutely. This year in particular is really interesting. I didn't shoot for probably, when I was up in Auckland, I probably didn't shoot for about three months, not a single shot. I was just completely uninspired coming you know still it was after i came back from my road trip and and i felt excited about the opportunity of moving to the south island and moving back to auckland i just got in this rut of like oh i've shot everything and anything around auckland i just couldn't think of anything that i wanted to shoot there and i felt stuck and so Mm. you know i've been through those moments you know a lot through my journey and a lot of photographers do and i felt like this year, this is a really interesting fact. This year, I haven't edited one single Milky Way image that I've shot this year. Wow. And we're, we're in the ninth month of the year. And that is over the last seven years, which I've really been into Astro, that's unheard of. And I feel okay with it to a point because I feel like I feel like I don't need to prove anything anymore. And I don't want to have to prove anything. I felt like, you know, over the last few years, I've done my dues and, I, and I've, and a lot of people know my vibe and they know what I'm about and I don't feel like I need to get an image out there and and I think everything with moving out of Auckland and moving down here and wanting to get established down here I've not felt in the rush or the need to get my Milky Way shots out in particular um but it's very very strange to have not edited a Milky Mm. Way image for me this year and I've got and I've been shooting a lot of Milky Way this year and I've got some incredible shots sitting there i know that and i started editing one and i probably got about three quarters of the way through but i felt like i needed to walk away from it and come back to it because i was just yes. stuck with that particular particular image so it's not for the lack of want it's just like i don't feel like i need to um mm. but i feel like now since i'm down here and with all the adventures i've had and the creativity that's coming there's that desire to to edit and to release something new soon is, is coming back. And and I think for me, that was the most important thing was getting my head head right, getting my mental state back um, in, a, in a good place and and moving down here as I've achieved, I've achieved that. So yeah, good things are, are coming soon, I, I can tell you. So, but it's just been more important for me just to get myself established here and just get myself into a good rhythm again. Yeah, no, that's excellent. Good. Mm-hmm. Great to hear that you, you're getting back in the group. Absolutely, mate. I've you know I've been out every available chance. Um, this it's been interesting in New Zealand this winter. It's been an incredibly difficult winter to shoot astro, and mm. right throughout the country, uh, people have struggled with clear to get clear nights. And I can think of like yeah. five or six nights in the last six months that have been clear for astro, and it's just very not like New Zealand to be this rainy and cloudy. So Yeah, it's it's uh, much the same over here. I mean, even some of the guys that uh, are out, you know, west where, you know, clear skies rule, you know, there's near desert conditions, you know, in the outback and there's yeah. there's normally never cloud and yet they're, they're chasing storms instead, some of them. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, there's a lot more mood and, and, and kind of daytime weather yeah. to continue. So it's um yeah it's been interesting this year. 
Yeah, I think it's going to continue through summer, unfortunately. So, oh yeah, they're expecting a bit of a wet summer over here. So we'll see how that pans out. Um, yeah, yeah it'll be interesting. What do you see as the biggest challenge facing photography right now? I think there's a big challenge in capturing images that are unique. I feel like I alluded to before, photography has become this very saturated thing. Like everyone has a camera. There's a billion photos going up online every day. There's just so much to contend with. So mm. to stand out from the crowd or to shoot something really unique, I think for a photographer is the biggest challenge. And then it's about how to market that. If you're looking at making money from photography, it's it's looking at ways to to be different and to stand out. And I feel like that is probably the biggest challenge for a lot of photographers. I know, you know, there's a lot of social media platforms and I feel like the challenge of those is that the algorithm is limiting people's creativity by the exposure and the 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 audiences that are that are seeing their work. I feel that we're very limited in terms, you know, we've got these platforms to share our work, but I feel like such a small percentage of our audience actually gets to see them. It's, yeah, um, yeah. you know, that's incredibly frustrating because then it's like, well, what's the point in posting? What's the point in sharing images if only five to 10% of my audience is going to see it? So I feel like that's these it. companies have restricted um, the ability to to market ourselves. So that's, I feel like that's one of the key things for photographers is trying to find ways around that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you think the advent of that shift towards video, particularly for, you know, platforms like Instagram and TikTok and, you know, the the, the rise of video is is adversely impacting photography in a big way? Absolutely. I feel like video, because we're such a, we need entertainment now and to keep capture people's attention, video is one of those ways that you can capture people's attention and, and things with reels are very addictive. And you can see that like with TikTok coming on board and, and being video and then Instagram wanting to compete with that and, and other platforms promoting video, it's it's obviously become this very like, what's the next thing that's going to capture my attention? And, and it, I feel like video can do that more so than, than images. Well, we're, we're, we're hardwired to you know track color and movement you look at babies when they're really young if you if you yeah. show them something that moves and it's brightly colored they're gonna look that way you know yeah and uh, you know I, I guess that that hard wiring is what the uh the platforms are, are playing on because you know if something moves and it's brightly colored then you you're gonna look at it yeah you know, you know and, you can't help yourself <laughs> exactly mate. and then so then it, the, the question becomes well do i follow these these trends do i change my style to try and mm. and i don't really know the answer to that because then it's like yes and no because if you do then you almost become a slave to that platform and you're rewarding you start... you're rewarding something that you don't necessarily like yeah exactly and and then do you lose yourself in that you know do you lose yourself in the art because like now you're you're not necessarily focusing on what you want to be doing but what you need to be doing and like i don't think that need to follow what those platforms are demanding is a good thing i'm doing my best not to follow those trends like reels yeah (laughs) yeah, it's frustrating mate it's really frustrating i i feel like it's changing people to to adapt to these these things which they're dictating and i don't think that's necessarily a good thing for artists but i also understand like people wanting to get exposed you know you can't fault people for doing it either oh no (laughs) like like old mate who uh wanted to you know work out how to get famous you know yeah 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 (laughs) i think there's one of your answers yeah yeah Yeah, so yeah i don't know it's interesting times in terms of the social media aspect side of the creative process and the marketing of that yeah if you weren't a photographer, what would you be? I feel like I would be probably still trying to pursue the TV, the TV thing, the cameraman thing. Um, I, I really like visual images in some form. Yeah, like I really enjoyed my work that I was doing before the pandemic kind of closed it all off. So I'd probably be continuing in that um, as a focus. Uh, yeah, I think that's what I'd be doing still. And I, I think I'd still, if I was working, then I think living in a big city is bearable, but without that or without some sort of creative output it's um yeah it's just too much 
Mm-hmm. What mm-hmm. advice do you have for someone that's just starting out and wanting to get into, say, Astro, for example? Go out and shoot and shoot and shoot. Um, watch YouTube clip videos. Just try and download as much information you can from any source that you can get. Do a workshop. If you find a workshop like that, will absolutely ex- accelerate your growth and your ability to to learn to how to capture the night sky um but there's no substitute for hard work mate and i feel like all the people that i respect and especially in astrophotography are out there doing it they're out there shooting you don't always see a massive online presence from them because they're out shooting but when they do drop a new image you know i can tell now the time and effort that's gone into an, an image um just through my journey and my experience and so yeah just absolutely no hard uh substitute for hard work and i feel like that's just going out and shooting and failing and learning your gear and learning what's possible through with the gear you have and then learning what gear you need to achieve the result that you want to achieve yeah definitely yeah Yeah. who's inspiring you at the moment in terms of photography uh a good good friend of mine paul wilson just producing quality work time and time again and you know, because I know him personally and, you know, he's a great mate of mine, I know the work that goes into his images. I know the preparation that goes into his images. So his work is, you know, and it's world-class, world-class stuff that he's that he's producing. Um, there's a, a friend of mine in Norway, Adrian, uh, producing arguably some of the best Aurora images in the world. And he's another one who's just out there all the time, just absolutely obsessed with aurora and someone that you know he's someone that i want to shoot with one day and Mm. and learn from as well because he's he's doing something that i want to be doing and he's doing it just incredibly so yeah those those are two guys that come to mind immediately there's another guy down in over in queenstown lee cook yep uh, another astrophotographer just providing uh producing absolutely world-class images and you know that's super inspiring when i see other people going to the lengths that they go to get their images and it it makes me it motivates me to want to go to those links and be on those links as well so you know these people are are just um they're inspirations because they're out there doing it mate and fantastic you know they're not talking the talk they're actually walking it and that for me is like that's what it comes down to at the end of the day yeah absolutely yeah Mm. brilliant Mm-hmm. Well, thanks for those. I've got one more question for you, and uh, for many, it's the the most important question I can ask. <laughs> Let's go. Do you like pineapple on pizza? I'm not opposed to pineapple on pizza. I don't no. really get the hate for it. Like, <laughs> uh, you know, I could go either way. It's, it's not a thing for me. I yeah, I enjoy it. I don't. You don't. It. You don't. Don't necessarily order it, but if it's there, you'll take it. Oh, I'll have a Hawaiian pizza, mate. I'm not, you know, pizza's a pizza. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I don't really, I don't really get the <laughs> the argument for it. Um, uh, yeah, I was to- talking to Vieri Bottazzini uh, a, a little while ago, and being Italian, it was an absolute dead set no. <laughs> I was going to say, like, I had an Italian flatmate, and he just couldn't believe that <laughs> pizzas came with um, pineapple. <laughs> But I guess it, like we've always known it'd be that way. So I don't know. It was you know yeah. we didn't quite be different. But I know yeah. I know there's the, the the travesty over here of putting an egg on a pizza. I've never heard that. I've never oh yeah, seen well, it. some they they actually call in in some places they call it the Aussie, and basically it's a pretty much ham, tomato base, cheese, and an egg cracked on top. Now that I think that's going too far, mate. Let's be honest. <laughs> it'd have to be the aussies that take it too far <laughs> well i was going to say you australians you know you're an interesting bunch and uh you know <laughs> not surprised in some ways <laughs> uh well thank you very much for taking the time to talk to me today mate um it's been absolutely wonderful getting to know you and your work a little bit better where can people find what you do so my yeah it's been great to talk to you grant and great to connect um uh, been following each other for a while, so it's it's good to it's good to finally have a chat about um, photography. Um, my my photography is under my shadow and shade, um, both on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. Um, and yeah, you can find me on those platforms under that name. Brilliant. All right, links to those will be in the uh, the show notes.
Thanks again for listening to Landscape Photography World. I hope you enjoyed the show and keep listening because I'll be joined by some great guests in upcoming episodes. You can find my work in this podcast at grantswinburnphotography.com. I'm also on Vero, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram and Facebook. I'm Grant Swinburne. Hope to see you out shooting soon. Mm-hmm.